We have a new sponsor here at In The Money Media wanted to tell you about. It's Cut, K-U-T-T. This is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's legal in 37 states plus D.C. where you can bet on sports, politics, and pop culture. Cut handles the payment side of things so you never have to chase anyone down for money. Tons of social features, group chats, betting leaderboards, much, much more. Cut, the social betting platform that lets you put your money where your mouth is. Check it out. K-U-T-T dot com. And right now we've got a special offer for In The Money Media listeners, a 10% deposit bonus up to 100 in credits when you use our promo code In The Money. Check it out now, cut.com, In The Money. We're very excited to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023, featuring Saturday racing coverage each week on the Players Podcast, as well as daily write-ups and analysis over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can find our stuff through the Naira website, too, under the Picks, Plays, and Promotions tab. Lastly, make sure you do not miss America's Day at the Races coverage across the Fox family of networks. For a full schedule of their coverage, please visit InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Monday, June 12th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back in the Brooklyn bunker once again, and very happy to get a chance to look back at a loaded last weekend of racing Belmont Stakes Racing Festival with two of my favorite folks to chat racing with and the two most uh, common people you see on these shows other than myself. We'll start with uh, the man up in one corner who's uh, been doing recapping for us for quite a long time. And you can also find his work over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com and you hear him behind the mic at uh, Sam Houston. That's actually a story we need to tell about Peter Luger's uh, in, in, in a, a pretty fine act of degeneracy the other night. I'm speaking, of course, of Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Back uh, home from the Belmont. It was a good time. In one piece and a bit better shape than your other uh, our other co-host who ran us through his uh, trials and tribulations. I have to start with the falling on the sword. As soon as I said the words, JK, and all the time I've known you, you never get sick. You have a kid the same age as me, and yet you avoid it. You're a, you're a miracle man. You're a, a medical marvel. As soon as I said it, I said, you know, there's a possibility. I just jinxed him, and I'm really going to feel really bad if that happened. We will bring him in right now from Fox Sports. Jonathan Kinchin. Yeah, you got me. I mean, yes. I mean, I'm going to blame it mostly on you, but I did. I take a little bit of responsibility. Joe Benino wasn't well. Every member of her family since we got back from Italy and a bunch of our friends, uh, ear infections, uh, uh, you know, headaches, worst fever ever, been sick. I think Sean Borman got sick. I mean, everyone I know got sick coming back just because, you know, they, we went we went pretty hard, but you know, I made fun of her. I was like, I'm a cockroach. Like, I never get sick. You can't, you can't okay. kill me. I can't ever get sick. And so I'm a little bit responsible for it. But yeah, I woke up Friday morning. I was not well. Stomach sick too, which I don't, you know, I don't, I, I have a huge fear of throwing up. So I've never allowed myself to really get stomach sick. Even when I'm stomach sick, I just kind of power through it. Um, but this was the first, first time I've thrown up non-alcohol and non-alcohol induced in 20 years. So um, I, I was not well Friday. Then I rallied on Saturday, drank too much Saturday night, got re-sick again yesterday, but I'm back. I'm feeling good, and um, 
and uh, and I'm alive, so that's good. Harkening back to Seinfeld and the and the multi-year vomit streak that uh, Jerry had on that uh, on that program, it's we're, we're not doing a media recap show, but I do want to know how your experience was being on uh, Big Fox and working with our man uh, Chris Felico over there. Yeah, it was cool. Like, um, you know, I think for most of the people that were at the track, they didn't really under- know or understand. There was two broadcasts, like simul- we talked about it, like simultaneously. There was the FS1 and, the, and then the Fox Sports one. I was on the FS1 show a majority of the day, but then I did pop over for one hit before the Met Mile with Chris Felica and, Car- and Carissa Thompson. And it was fun. You know, I was only on for like three minutes, but um, but it was cool. And I didn't really get a chance to watch the rest of the Fox broadcast. Um, you know, I heard it looked really good. I heard that, you know, we had a lot of cool an- angles and cameras and and, uh, and even in rehearsals on Friday, there was like a rehearsal um, that we just kind of went over what we were going to talk about. But leading up to it, we want I listened in my ear on the IFB, listened to Durkin call the rot the Rotney race. Was that how you said that? What was saying Rotney R O T K N E E? He was calling the Rotney race, but he was doing it kind of just like a he wasn't you know it was just for our ears for him to get a practice run, and I I like teared up just like hearing his voice. <laughs> calling a race so uh that was fun but yeah it was cool you know it's 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 fun to be a part of these big broadcasts and you know and and kudos to fox for for really kind of ponying up to to support racing they've they've really leaned into their role in racing and you've seen that with the commitment with their commitment to the belmont stakes and this was their first one i'm sure they learned a lot about the facility and a lot about the race and all that stuff and and i'm i'm optimistic that it will only continue to improve We'll get to these races in a second, but I do just want to share, you know, we didn't have Dirk in, in where we were. And uh, I was having a chat with my friend, uh, Mary Odious, and she was extremely excited having uh, Dirk back on the mic. And I asked, how is he doing? Is he, is he showing any ring rust? What's going on? And she just said, nobody calls a race like the Dirk. And I love that. You, you know what? I, someone told me this too. I didn't, and I, we can talk about it really quick. So I heard people were like kind of teasing him about his um, Met Mile call because i actually heard it because it was in my ear i know you i don't even know if you guys have even heard it yet i haven't heard it have you heard it nick i have yeah so when but that's the, like so i guess what they're making fun of is the fact that he said that cody's wish is toiling at the back but like that's what durkin does like that's why he's great just because he or we know that cody's wish was kind of going backwards to then go forward that doesn't matter. That's the story. You tell the story of the one to five shot with the unbelievably emotional story behind it with the child and all of this stuff. That's you tell the, the story that Cody's wish is toiling at the back. And then he makes the run and the people who know shit about horse racing could not be more engaged. They're crying. We're all crying. Like who? <laughs> that's what he does. That's the story he tells. And he was for a second and a half. He was toiling at the back. I never thought he was not traveling personally, but I, you know, it's, I, I take your point about the narrative and uh, Nick is a race caller. What did you think of that? Um, you know, the single hardest thing in calling a race <clears throat> is making predictive statements. Right. And so the announcers over time that have been particularly good at analyzing where a horse is and where they're going, it's such a, it's, such an art right it's it's so hard to do because you're looking through binoculars and even and at a place like belmont where you know you need a specifically strong set of binoculars you're making a declarative statement about something that really is just sort of anticipatory and i mean i think personally that and i am in no position whatsoever to ever 
criticize or critique Tom Durkin ever. I think he probably would want to take back the word toiling. But the point he was making is that Cody's wish was last. Right. And, and there's that's indisputable. I don't know. You know, I think he would have said he used that word very effectively throughout his career. I think he probably would have said in watching it back, I would have rather it been a horse that looked like they were last and going nowhere. But the thing is, that horse made such a fast move from that point to the quarter pole that it surprised everybody. Right. I mean, it surprised me. It probably surprised both of you. It undoubtedly surprised Tom. He went from inside and last to widest and grabbing the lead in like a furlong. And so, you know, for a guy that hadn't called a race in nine years and was doing this at 72 years old, I mean, it was incredible. It's, it's incredible to see. I mean, you know, all of us would have given anything we had to see, you know, vintage Michael Jordan one time on the court with LeBron, you know, or something like that. And, and this was kind of our opportunity to do it from a race calling perspective. And, you know, the, the, the thing is with Tom, the expectations always so high because so many of these of the races that he called so well over the years are so popular because of him, right? The races themselves were great, but, but, you know, tis now is more popular because of him in both breeders cups. And, you know, the smarty Jones Belmont is heartbreaking and you watch the replay every time hoping that he's somehow going to win, but you know that he's going to lose and Durkin is going to capture it so perfectly. And, you know, it was great to have that back. I mean, you can't for Fox, it was brilliant because if you're going to make a splash, you know, in, in terms of, of bringing somebody back, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. If, if, CBS somehow got the the contract to call to, to cover the national championship game next year. I mean, wouldn't they love to have an opera? I mean, Keith Jackson's not with us anymore, but you know, wouldn't they love to have somebody like that or, you know, some classic voice that, that we grew to love over the years? Of course. I and mean, there's no question about it. One thing just to piggyback on your point, and then we'll actually start with the Met Mile since we're talking Cody's wish and we're talking about that race call. But Jerry Bailey's own memory of riding cigar to victory in the classic. When he tells the story, he's consistently quoting the Durkin call. Like how amazing is that? It's not like he even heard it during it, but he captured it so well that it's almost like more impactful than the own memories of the man in the South. Like that is the power of media and the power of Tom Durkin. Yeah. And just quickly like, yeah, go ahead, John. Like I, I, there's some like uh, the first time I ever walked into Churchill Downs, I saw Rachel Alexander run in the Oaks. The first time I ever stepped foot on on those grounds, and when I close my eyes and I think about that race, I see her running by me in real time. I see I close my I can see her running by me in real time, but the only audio I hear is Tom's call. That's the only it's the only audio I can hear Super when I Philly, look at that. You I mean, bet. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that was know? it. Did you have one more point yeah. on the call or Durkin, Nick, before we dive into the Met Mile? No, I mean, his, his theater background was always what made it so that he could deliver those lines as if they were just coming into his head, you know? And, and when, when you hear an announcer rattle off some pre-rehearsed cheese ball lines, they come off like pre-rehearsed cheese ball lines, right? And Durkin may have known exactly what he was going to say for Cigar, but boy, it sounded like he came up with it at the eighth pole. You know, it sounded like he, like he had no no doubt what he was going to say, and you know, was delivered flawlessly. I hope he's doing the museum visits again um, in 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 uh, Saratoga, doing those tours. That's like the best the best value activity to take a look at, and and uh, ties in some great causes. Well, talking about this, and you mentioning the theater background, Nick, is making me think how much money I'd pay for a Tom Durkin one man show. But it's on to Cody's wish, the protag- the real protagonist of the drama in the Met Mile. And yeah, this ra- I would say this was a resting 
visually arresting, even by his own standards, his own lofty standards, as he made that, uh, that, that scintillating move and gets up, wins by three plus in the end. The figure makers love this run. Came back 129 with the time form adjusted. I think the buyer, was the buyer 112, Nick? 109? 112, yeah. 112. I mean, we all knew this horse was great. And, uh, well, no, no. Let me rephrase that. We all knew this horse was very, very good. We all knew this story was great. But I feel like we're at a point glimpsing now the potential for Cody's Wish and the rest of this season and saying, you know, this horse might be greater than, than we even thought. We really might be looking at something special because let's just say, let's just say he wins the Whitney, goes on to win a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. This would be, you know, you would suddenly be in the kind of territory, you know, winning a grade one from seven furlongs to 10. You're talking about things that, you know, it's a real short list of horses who've done it. Um, Flightline, Go Zapper, uh, Dr. Fager, maybe. I, mean, I don't know if I can name another. It, uh, I'm just, I'm starting to think that this horse might even be better than, than we thought he was. How good or how great is Cody's wish? We'll start with you, Jonathan. I mean, he's on his way, right? I mean, I think he's a foregone conclusion. I'm not worried about the distance at all for him and the Whitney, right? You know, barring any racing luck in that race, he's the winner of the Whitney. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've talked about it a lot with, with Gary Stevens and with Richie Migliori, that, and they've convinced me fully that a one-turn mile is more of a distance challenge for horses than two-turn mile and an eighth because they don't get to slow down going into that first turn. They're running on the backside the entire way, and it, it's, it's not an, there's no time to slow down. And I even think it's even more so at Belmont because you don't even have to really slow down on the turn. You're basically running in a straight the entire time. You get lost out there. The turns are so sweeping. So I, I think that if he goes on to win the Whitney, um, then it's just what do you do next with him? Because now that jump to the mile and a quarter, which seems like it would have to be what he does next, becomes kind of the sneaky part. And I think that he'll absolutely do that. If anyone thinks that this horse is going to run in the Breeders' Cup dirt mile, you have lost your mind. You've never seen May Dawn. You've never seen Emirates Airlines. There is no way in hell that this horse came back to run in the dirt mile again. He will run in the classic. I think, you know, I think even barring if he wins the Whitney and he runs second in a mile and a quarter race, I still think he shows up in the classic. And then he'll have an opportunity to kind of stamp himself with that great tag. And I love the way that he does it with his style. I think that that makes it even more exciting and even more impressive. Like he's not just some speedball horse. It's just better than everyone else. He, he's, he comes from out of it and he is better than everyone else. Nick, how about you? You, you, you sometimes like to rain on the parade of the sentimental story, though, though you've always <laughs> known Cody's wish fan at the same time. Does it sound crazy that we could be talking about the Breeders' Cup Classic? Oh, no, no, it should be. That should be the prime part of the conversation right now. I mean, and as Jonathan's alluding to, it's sort of, that's got to be the reason they brought him back, right? I mean, he could have been a stallion last year, um, but being a Curlin and, and having all that ability, you wanted to see really how much he could be tested moving forward. The problem, the only problem I could see, and trying to look at this as objectively as possible, it's been made abundantly clear that everybody that he's faced around one turn, he is much better than. I mean, not just somewhat better than, he's much better than them. The only problem as I foresee it, and, and this thought process is requiring something that you know really doesn't exist right now, he could be vulnerable in a slower-paced two-turn race. And the only reason I say that is because he can't drop six or seven lengths out and, and make that, you know, that split-second move to get back into contention in a race like the Whitney. 
but can you let me know who the quality speed horses are in that division? Because, I mean, I just, you know, I don't know who exactly could run away from him to give him potentially a big problem. And, you know, the foster will bear out a lot in terms of what kind of horses we could see, you know, potentially looking at, at, uh, at a race like the, uh, like the Whitney, you know, it looks like Bob Baffert's going to keep Taba out West. You know, I, I thought Taba could probably beat Cody's wish in the Met Mile. Having watched the Met Mile, I don't think there's a chance in hell that Taba would have beaten him. I think it would have taken a race that we've just not seen from Taba yet. And, and, and the thing is about Cody's wish as well is that he's in it, the hands of a guy who's you really trust, you know, stretching, getting more ground out of horses, doing things that are, you know, a little bit uh, what some would consider to be on the tougher side. And I think Bill Mott knows this is a horse with just a world of ability. I'd encourage people that haven't seen it to go back and watch his mile and an eighth maiden race in his second career start. He got about as ridiculous a trip as you could find. He had no problem getting the distance. It just seemed at that point like he probably was a little bit better going shorter. And the thing is, he is better going shorter, but that doesn't mean that he's just not a significantly better horse than he was back in that time. And he's going to continue to move forward. Because one thing about that horse is that he seemingly has gotten better with each passing start. So I, I envision he's going to be He's going to be very tough in the Whitney and, you know, I hope we get a healthy smile, happy and um, you know, one of the Brad Cox horses and even rattle and roll in the Whitney and all those horses that, you know, would really make it a fun race. It's supposed to be the marquee handicap race of the year. It's also notable to me looking at Cody's wish that some of his being so far back is a bit circumstantial. It's not like he's some plotter. You look at his pace figures as they go farther out to a mile and a quarter, maybe even it's going to be a lot closer. I would think. Exactly. Right. He's right. He's going to be two or three lengths off the lead. And the fact that he can, he can lengthen his stride and get into contention so quickly. I mean, that augurs well for his ability to get a good, good kind of stalking trip going along. Very exciting stuff with Cody's wish and a story that just keeps on giving. Let's talk about the Belmont stakes for a minute, gentlemen, Archangelo getting the job done at seven to one, obviously amazing story, story that racing could really use, with having the first female trainer to win a triple crown race. This is a horse, Nick, you've mentioned as a Belmont Stakes winner before the Peter Pan. And uh, it was great to see the plan come to fruition here. Um, Sort of an unusually run race, I want to say, more tactical maybe than some. Um, I thought the Castellanos ride certainly deserves some discussion. Nick, we'll start with you on your thoughts on Archangelo's win in uh, the big one on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, from a general racing perspective and from a fan standpoint, Jenna Antonucci winning is a great story. And while we're collecting negative headlines as a sport, this is a positive one, Um, especially because, I mean, Jenna Antonucci, with all due respect, she's not like Linda Rice or Brittany Russell or anybody like that that has a ton of horses and is winning a ton of races. And she's a small time trainer. But um, it just goes to show you that a good horse can can win for any trainer that, you know, that knows what they're doing. And pretty much if you're running at this level, you know what you're doing. So that part was great. And and uh, the confidence shown by the ownership and putting up supplemental money to get him into the race. Javier Castellano, who very quietly has ridden amazingly well over the last year or so. And um, I didn't really see anybody pick up on it, but a lot of credit to be given to his agent, PJ Campo, the former director of racing at Naira, who... Uh, has gotten him on nothing but live horses left and right. And has also done a very good job with Eric Cantell. I think he deserves a lot of credit um, because I think Javier is a guy who has always ridden well when he has confidence. And when he's winning, he has much more confidence. He still is plenty capable. 
I didn't necessarily think that keeping him on the rail was the greatest idea through the first eight furlongs or so of the race, but he overcame it because the, the inside to me did not look like it was necessarily bad, but they were deliberately avoiding the inside throughout the day. Whereas on Friday, I felt like being inside may have actually been a little bit more of an advantage. Um, the pace was fast. I was surprised that it was as quick as it was. I know time from us kind of predicted it would be quick. It led to the last quarter being kind of a stagger fest, which, you know, the Belmont is often that case. And so, um, Archangelo was in the right place at the right time. He had the right move at the right time. And, um, yeah, I think as far as the winner goes, that's, that's probably about all you'd have to say. Yeah. 8% overall for the career, Jen Antonucci, just, you know, very, you know, not, not terrible numbers, not numbers that, that that stand out, but somebody who obviously hasn't had too much talent like this Blue Rose farm runner in her barn to this point. I definitely want to pick up on on the ride. I, I thought it was really, I thought it was interesting. I, I, in the middle of the race, there's a minute there where it looks like Castellano's maybe looking to get off the rail and he ends up in between horses. And then at one point he makes this decisive move down at the rail what did you think, J.K., as that was going on? Was that a, what are you doing? Or was that a, let's see how this works out? Or was that a, go on my son? No, no, no. I mean, I, it's funny. I mean, I think that there's all of those are possible correct answers depending on what your wager was. I didn't have Archangelo. So the entire time I was screaming, Johnny, shut him off. Johnny, shut him off. Johnny, don't let him. Johnny, don't. Johnny, shut him off. That's what I was screaming. Um, <laughs> you know, because, you know, it worked out to be a perfect trip. I mean, that's what you want in a situation like this when Nick mentioned it's a stagger fest home. Every inch matters, and Javier gained those inches. Um, you know, while Forte and Tappet Trice and the others were, you know, middle moving, circling wide on the turn, Javier was sitting in there chilly. I I'm not saying that that was necessarily the difference, but, man, it would have been a hell of a closer call if, if the trips were switched, right? Um I had this weird thing with Archangelo. This is really ridiculous, but I'm just going to be honest. You know, we were all guilty of kind of creating these ideas and these feelings about horses. And then like, we can't let them go sometimes. Um, I, I call it the cookie, uh, letting go of the cookie. Uh, an old coach of mine used to teach me about these monkeys in Africa. They used to try to catch and they would put Oreos in a hole and the monkeys would put their hands in, grab the Oreo. And if they hold on to the Oreo, they can't get their hand out. That's how they would trap them. If they would just let go of it, they could get their hand out, but they won't let go of the cookie. That's what I did with Archangelo. On March 18th, he ran in a, in a race down in South Florida, and I bet a horse behind him in that race who ran horrible. I think the horse's name was like Magical Power, and I never forgave Archangelo's figure for that race. And so I always just kind of thought, ugh, I don't love this horse. Ugh, I don't love Archangelo. Is he really that good? Is he really that good? Then – we talked about it, Pete, on the on the show we did when he ran in the Peter Pan against Bishop's Bay. I called John Panagot. I was a little bit annoyed at Florence ride on Bishop's Bay. And, and Johnny said, no, no, no. That was the instructions not to make the lead too early on Bishop's Bay because he pulls himself up. So then I thought to myself, the only reason Archangelo beat him was because he made the lead Bishop's Bay and he pulled himself up. So I basically made two poor assessments of his last two races. So it allowed me to just not really give him a ton of credit. So that, that's, it's a hundred percent what happened. I just completely kind of got, I wouldn't let go of the cookie of, of those previous situations. And it ended up kind of biting me. He moved up again. Archangelo did the figure with the buyer about one Oh two for this, uh, for this race. Does that sound right, Nick? It was uh, one Oh two. Yeah. Yeah. So 
You moved yeah. up again, going farther. It's not like anybody was relishing the, the, the distance, right? I mean, the last quarter was 26 seconds plus. I think you guys both called it a stagger fest. That's about right. It felt to me that Castellano won the race with the definitive move in the middle. And, you know, you had a horse like Forte who was off the bridle a long, you know, long way out. And you picked up again. But some of his late closing move, I think, was him just getting, like, less tired than than some of the other horses. Yeah, it was a it was a class it was a class thing. I think we found that out about Forte. I'm not sure how good he is, but he's really classy. If that makes if that makes any sense, I think that his class can kind of help him uh, maybe outrun his ability from time to time. I think that's kind of what that was. Um, one question I want to ask you both. I'll start with you first, Nick. Who was the horse that you're mad at yourself that you thought had a chance that ran poorly? Because I have one that I feel like I fell for, and I'm a little bit agitated that I fell for it because I know better. So I, I bet Archangelo Tapitrice and Hit Show. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think that any of those necessarily ran poorly. I'm mad at myself for buying all of the Todd wins every Belmont hype and just assuming that Tapitrice was that good. The problem for me was I was never getting Forte in the exacta. I just was, I was a total talk the four day. So I guess I'm mad. That's probably my worst opinion that I'm, I'm mad about, but um, I didn't have a horse that I thought would run well that didn't, if that makes sense. I think I probably thought hit show was better than he actually is. And when push comes to shove, he's a horse that's just capable of running, you know, mid nineties to maybe upper nineties buyer figures, but he was always going to struggle in that scenario, given how grindy he is and that he really can't accelerate. Pete, anybody that you kind of really regret any Belmont regret? I actually feel like I was pretty darn close with this one. Maybe, I mean, because here's the thing, like, I kind of want to say I gave Tapatrice too much credit, but I didn't, I don't think I did because he was five to one. You know, we, we were, when I was thinking about being anti him, it was thinking he was going to be, there was so much chat about him. It, it sounded like he was, could be a five to two, three to one shot. And at five to one, I feel all right with it. He's just, he's quirky, man. He, he, there, you know, a lot of horses don't like kickback, but this horse, like, he, he really seems to resent being in behind horses and he's very talented, but I think it's always tough with him. It's going to always be tough with him in these big full fields, unless they figure something out and can, and can bring him forward and get him to be a little more, I don't want to say honest because it's not like it's some, I guess it is though for a racehorse. It is a character flaw, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's just, one. Just pay, thing. just pay, just pay a groom to stand there all day and just throw dirt at him until he gets used to it. <laughs> Who's yours, JK? National treasure? No, Angel of Empire. I, I I fell for that stupid move, and I and I and you know what's funny is I realized it talking through it on the broadcast. I realized in the middle of the broadcast that my use of Angel of Empire was a mistake. But the tickets were already in. I already had them. I don't think I would have used Archangelo instead. So it doesn't really make it. Wouldn't have saved me any by any means. But one of my greatest, and this is before I even knew, even kind of knew what I was doing. One of my greatest handicapping accomplishments was the Drosselmeyer Belmont when I tossed Icebox and I was alive in that big pick four when the pick fours were paying more than my salary as a teacher and I tossed Icebox because I learned that um, closers in the Derby that are closing into meltdowns they look like they're going to run good in the Belmont they don't run good in the Belmont they, they, they closed into meltdowns and I completely fell for it with Angel of Empire uh, I'm not saying he's a bad horse. I'm just saying he he, he closed into a Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. And I just I I Belmont, but yeah, and I used him as an A horse, and and I just wasted a lot of equity there. 
Not that, like I said, it wouldn't have made a difference, but I, I wasted a lot of equity there. I think it's always smart to go back and, and, and look at these things. So here's, so I, you guys have already both sort of made some comments about Forte. I think he's worth pausing on because I think he's an interesting horse in terms of trip handicapping, just looking around online. A lot of people are giving him extra credit for, for his trip. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think some of his not good trips in these last two runs are because he's not fast enough and he gets outpaced. And then he's so good and so classy, like you were saying, Jonathan, that he's able to overcome and put in a run. But like a truly great horse doesn't get in these spots because he's he's faster and able to hit holes and able to keep up and able to do some of the things that we haven't seen from Forte in these last two starts. Now, that does not to say that he can't continue to improve and get better or that certain race shapes are going to, suit him more maybe a slowly run 10 furlongs forte is going to look like a monster but it just seems when we've seen these mid-race accelerations from some of his opponents the last two days he gets a little bit he gets a little bit lost before he can get going and i think it's kind of a he's he's a, a different kind of horse than a lot of what we're what we're used to and it's hard to balance his talent with what might be his propensity to seem like he's getting bad trips nick what did you think of forte's trip um, so he seems to have a problem cornering, which um, I, I kind of I noticed somebody say that I kind of thought something similar in the Florida Derby because he really didn't accelerate on the turn. And the thing is, it's funny when you juxtapose him and Mage and you look at all their career starts, Mage, maybe because he's a little bit smaller. He's a he's a hellcat on the turns. He can really take the turns fast. And I mean, when you think about it from a purely physical standpoint, you're talking about a horse essentially running at an angle. So Forte does not corner well. I mean, and, and I wouldn't have given you a plug nickel for Forte at the three-eighths pole. And then here he was rallying arguably best of all down the stretch when they straightened away. And it, it kind of reminded you of the Florida Derby when he, he got going once he straightened away. Um, one of the concerns that you and I had after the Florida Derby was that he did not have any tactical speed anymore. And he did show a little bit more tactical speed on Saturday. You know, do you, do you think that Iran would have rather had you know, Javier's position? Yeah, I think probably. I mean, he probably would have, would have rather been latched onto national treasure and just been able to accelerate before everybody got to him. But he's just not that quick anymore. And for a horse that, you know, that broke his maiden at five eighths at Belmont and had a lot of speed as a two year old, he's just not quick to the punch. I don't know if maybe there's something there that could be done equipment wise. Maybe blinkers are going to put him in the game a little bit more. Maybe they're going to keep him from, from losing ground a little bit on the turns, but either way, they're not quite getting to, they've not unlocked Forte in my opinion. And if they have, then we know what he is and there's going to be plenty of horses in the crop to end up being better. Your thoughts on Forte, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, just one of those horses every time you look up, he's in between horses. Yeah. You know, and and you know, every time you look up, he's he's in between horses. And you know, that's not where Todd Pletcher's horses run. They don't run in between horses. They run outside of horses, sitting off of them. You know, in the two or the three path. Um, you know, I do think he's interesting though. He he continuously shows up. You know, I talked about that class thing, and he's got a, a Hall of Famer in Todd Pletcher who's got some time to figure him out. He's going to get a little bit of a break, I would imagine. I'm sure we'll see him in the Jim Dandy, and I wouldn't be shocked even a little bit if if this horse um, goes on to win the Travers. I don't know. You give me the right price on him, I'd probably take it now, right? I, I mean, 
it, it'd have to, you know, it had to be a no, you know, no runner, no bet situation. I'd probably need, you know, six, seven, eight to one, five, six, seven, eight, you know, I, but I think, I think that this horse makes sense. I think he'll continue to progress. If like, like Nick said, if Todd can kind of, kind of right the ship a little bit, not that it's wrong, but it just ain't right yet. You know what I mean? I think we're in very much agreement. See, my theory is if such a thing as a Travers Future book existed, I think he'd be a heavy favorite. And if he comes back as a heavy favorite, he might be one I'm looking to oppose a little bit because I think the hype and the, the he's got so much raw talent, but I think the hype might exceed what can be expected on the track and what clearly seems now to be as open a three-year-old division as I can remember. Who from the Belmont, let's talk a little more about the Belmont before we start reflecting on the division as a whole. Anybody from the Belmont that you're particularly interested in betting back, uh, Jonathan? Um, not really. I mean, I don't know. I think Hit Show showed a lot of talent. So maybe, you know, maybe we'll see what kind of happens with him. You know, Tappet Trice maybe grows up a little bit, figures it out. He's, he's got some talent, but he just never really seemed to put it together. No, I mean, there's no one in here I'm really, like, cutting in line to, like, you know, bet three-year-old champion on. Yeah, I mean, but there's I really wonder- no one in the division, to be honest, like to answer your full question, like, you know, I think, I, you know, I think Mage is really good. I think he was, he had a circumstantial win. I think National Treasure is nice horse, circumstantial win. Archangelo, nice horse, circumstantial win. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, National Treasure wasn't going to win the Derby. He didn't win this one. Archangelo wasn't going to win the Derby. I don't think he, he didn't, you know, I, I just, none of the three really grabbed me as superstars. You know, what about you, Nick? Who, who's your horse to take out of uh, the Belmont? Um, I mean, look, I, I it may seem basic, but I think Archangelo is the horse you want to take out of there because he still has the most upside. You know, he's still very lightly raced. He's still a horse that we might get a real improvement from. You know, I think we know who Forte is. We know who Tapatrice is. I shouldn't necessarily lump Forte and Tapatrice together. I think we know Tapatrice a little bit more so than we know Forte. I, I don't want to completely crap all over National Treasure, um, but I would like to think, and I guess this will go into our next segment as far as overall division, but from the Belmont, I mean, I would happily take Archangelo. I think Brad will go the Brad route with horses like Angel of Empire and Hit Show, and they'll get softer competition. I, I imagine Angel of Empire will get to the Travers, but I could see Brad doing like a West Virginia route or something. He loves races where he's three to five, and Angel of Empire is not going to be three to five in the Jim Dandy. He deserves to be in those kind of races, though. So, uh, yeah, I think the most unexposed is Archangelo. He'd be the one I'd be most inclined to take if you were telling me I had to take one. Yeah, I don't disagree. Now, who is who? Do, what do we know? I totally agree. Forte, Jim Dandy feels like that's going to happen. Do we have any information? It doesn't look like it. Just looking at the stakes, uh, probables type sites, that there's much commitment yet. But you know, is there a particular horse in this division you like for a particular race? Do we? Is Mage? Mage might be the best place to start as our Derby winner. Is he meant to reappear in the in the Haskell? Is that what we're thinking? I hadn't, I hadn't heard. Um, I only thing I heard Haskell was maybe Arabian Lion if they decide to try one more time at a mile and eighth because they can always cut back for the uh, for the Jerkins if that doesn't work out. And why wouldn't you, right? I mean, Arabian Lion definitely deserves some chatter on the show as a horse that you know, just looking at speed figures, could be one who who makes a major impact in this division. What did this? I'm, I'm looking up this figure now. One of you save me if you uh, if you have it offhand for Arabian Lion. One oh nine. Yeah, I mean, the 109 in the Stevens, that's a testing seven furlongs. I would say if you get seven furlongs around Belmont, 
not unlikely you're going to get nine at the Jersey Shore. Um, yeah, and Baffert's won that race, what, 76 times? So it's uh, <laughs> that, that feels like a very, very good guess. Gosh, I want to see First Mission again. What are we hearing about, about him? Is he uh, – how serious was his setback? Pretty serious, Nick? Yes, he's getting 60 days off. So I think he's a, he's a 2024 horse. Um, I mean, I think this division could have an Arabian problem in the sense that Arabian Lion could run in the Haskell. And Arabian Knight's three works in. And, I mean, people have probably almost completely forgotten about Arabian Knight. But, I mean, that's Southwest. Granted, it was against weak competition. But he got a 97 pick second time out. So, you know, this is a really, really talented horse. You'd like to think maybe a low Sal Derby Travers type of situation is not impossible. Um, he's going to need three more works though, at least. So I can tell you what the guy who's Barney comes from, I would trust in that scenario. And that's a, a very fast horse and a crop that lacks a lot of real speed. Um, the, the best speed horse we saw in the triple crown was arguably national treasure. And I don't think yeah. they're going to duel each other into the ground. So yeah, he's he's one that I'd keep an eye on. Um, I love the idea of Arabian Lion going to the hassle. Two Phils is supposed to go there after they find some meaningless race in the Midwest to run in and skip everything else that that really matters. Um, you know, maybe they can maybe they can go the maybe they can try like the Indiana Derby or the Iowa Derby or something on the way to the Travers. But um, I guess he's going to run in the Ohio Derby, which I mean, that's just screams like marquee three year old race. But um, yeah. before I rant. So him, you know, he'd be interesting, obviously. I think I think two Phil's Derby performance, certainly, you know, nothing that happened in the two subsequent races makes you say it was fluky. Um, so, yeah, you, you get all those horses healthy. I'm really a big problem with my AirPods, my new AirPods staying in my ear. It must be my head. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if we see all those in the same place, then, I mean, the Travers could be outstanding. So let's hope that they all uh, they all end up there healthy and, and we get a good good matchup. It wouldn't be the first time, Nick, you were accused of having a swollen head. We'll say that much. <laughs> it's large to begin with, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's. I think we'll, we'll see a few different paths. What about National Treasure for a race like the Pacific Classic? Where you know, uh, Bob doesn't really do that with three-year-olds, though. I know, but now with if if Nick's theory is right, if he has the two, uh, if the two Arabians are in the mix, um, I was yeah, just but he's got a Pacific Classic horse too, though. That's Tave right. is a Pacific Classic horse, so That's right. right. I mean, right. I could see Bob. Bob's not. Bob's not been shy about. The other thing is, Bob will back will back somebody up to the Pennsylvania Derby, so he might have the Pennsylvania Derby in mind for somebody, and he's going to get him there. And and for all, all things considered, that might be Arabian Night spot, right? He might be a little behind the eight ball to make the Travers at a mile and a quarter. It's just you know, this feels like a crop where like a West Coast or I'm not going to say Arrogate. I don't think anybody like Arrogate is out there right now. But, you know, one of those late season developing three-year-olds that Bob had really could come and take this division by storm. Because, I mean, when push comes to shove, they're all like 100 buyer horses, right? They're all, you know, they're solid. They're not bad. They're not slow. But they're not that fast. So that means he could bring a fast horse in and, and kind of upset things. And I don't know. I mean, it was 7-8. He had a great trip. The Arabian Lion looked terrific on Saturday in my opinion. I thought so too. I didn't think it was shut off. You know, yeah. He, he rated too. Right. Like, you know, sitting no, there in the pocket like that, like Baffert horses don't usually do that. It's like, not, no. that's not their thing. It was, and I think Drew's gold is damn good. I know Jimmy Chapman said that Drew's gold was the best horse he'd had since caller one, which I thought was ridiculous, but now I think he might be right. Right. That he's, he's very solid horse. I don't want this comment to be taken literally. Cause I certainly don't think he's as good as flight line, but there was some, there was a little bit of that element to me of seeing a horse that you might have perceived as a pure speed horse 
dealing with a tough field and some trouble and showing me they were better than I was rating them going in. That's as far as I'll go. And yeah, I mean, these Arabian lion figures are by, I mean, they're by far the best of the, of the crop so far. So he's really a horse to, uh, to, to keep an eye on, but it's, it's wide open. It's very hard. It's hard to even, I guess mage is still a, a significant favorite for divisional honors, just because of the extra credit people give the Derby and him running a non, you know, non-disgraced uh, race in the Preakness. But yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about a bunch of them and we might not even have said the name of the one that goes on to win this division. If you get a, if you do get a serious late developer, any thoughts from you, Jonathan, about uh, who the three-year-old champ is going to be? No, I mean, I think we got to, you know, we got to, uh, you know, like I said, the three that have won don't even really have a resume as of yet that you would make you feel comfortable. If we like stop the season now, I think they just wouldn't give the award this year. So like, I think you got <laughs> to see what happens with the, you got to see what happens with the Haskell and the Travers, right? Yeah. More importantly, the Travers. I think if any of those three can win the Travers also, then they're probably locked in. Um and then, you know, we just got to see what happens with those other races. You know, if anyone goes on to win any Breeders' Cup races as well, that can always be interesting. Oh, but, no, I, I have no position yet. These three three-year-old restricted grade ones left and the grade two Jim Dandy are all going to be appointment uh, TV for any racing fan. Let's roll through a couple of these other stakes races. I don't want to go more than another six minutes here if we can. Let's start with the Manhattan up to the mark. There was some question about the distance. Well, he answered it, and uh, it was with a definitive yes. A 105 by your speed figure. Um, really, really, really nice grass horse. Wonder how he's going to, uh, if he can keep that spot in the division all the way through the Breeders' Cup. But it looks like we might have a chance for the USA to win a Breeders' Cup turf based on what we saw on Saturday. It's, at least that's what yeah. I thought. Am I overrating him, Jonathan? The, the airplane's the only thing that can beat him. You know, yeah. they, they got, someone's got to get on that transatlantic flight. It's the only horse the only horses that can that, that have a chance. There's no American horse that will beat this horse. He, he feels, I don't want to be flippant with saying this, but he feels like uh, he feels like he's about to be on that run that bricks and mortar was on that run that domestic spending was kind of on for a second. Um, he, he feels like one of those two. Nick, any descent on uh, how much we like up to the mark? No, I mean, he's been, he's been awfully good. I think it's kind of funny that on Pegasus day, Nobody's probably going to remember who won the Pegasus, but Mage broke his maiden on debut and up to the mark won his turf debut. Those were kind of the two two performances that you'll take away from it. But now he's gotten very, very good. I saw the Arlington Million mentioned as a, as a next stop at a Colonial in early August, which feels like it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that could be problematic for him is the mile and a half to me, um, you know, provided he stays in one piece and, and he can ship over. But the good thing is that I would imagine Todd's plan is million – Joe Hirsch Turf Classic, and then Breeders' Cup. But he also mentioned the possibility of potentially cutting him back to a mile. So, you know, and that was a bricks and mortar conversation really all the way through the month of October in 2019. So they'll still have a lot of time to sort themselves out. And, you know, one of the things that's notable up to this point is that these Charlie Appleby horses don't all look like machines anymore. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have somebody maybe that he's pointing to the fall, but uh, we're, we're we're at least making ground a little bit now. Interestingly about him, Nick, Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today, had sent me some stats about he's just off form generally all the relevant all the relevant numbers for him over there. So if he gets if he catches back on an upswing overall, 
maybe the second half of the season it would be different. But right now, I think you, you just you evaluate those horses strictly on their form, and you don't have to pop, you don't have to pump in any uh, Appleby right. magic of the last uh, of the last few seasons. But that's a story, obviously, will be will be following here throughout. Got to at least name check Clarier. Anybody else surprised she was the price she was in there? She was a little yeah. dead on the board early on. Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't need to jump in, but I was surprised search results was such a short price. Look, search results ran great again and is becoming one of the, the easiest horses to have a soft spot for because she's lost, you know, three grade ones that looked like she was on her way to winning turning for home. Um, I've, I've been, I've spent the last 42 minutes. Jonathan said before we started, there were three horses that aren't going to lose again this year. And I've been trying to figure out who the third one is. And I just figured out it's Clarier. Right. It was no, up to the Mark I, Cody's wish and Clarier, right? In, in Italian. Oh, in Italian, oh. right. Sure. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah maybe yeah, Clarier. You know what? Clarier, Clarier can get beat because of her style. Her style. She catches the yeah, wrong group. She'll get beat. Um, she shouldn't get she beat. She doesn't have matters. the most she doesn't have the most Santa Anita loving style either. Um, yeah, so that makes sense. No, in Italian's gonna be exceptionally difficult to beat. I would, I would imagine, but yeah, no, I thought Clarion was perfect. You know, she's Joel gets a lot of flack for uh, deservedly so, but you know, he got her into the race a little bit earlier. It was sort of an unsightly race because played hard was in the five path the whole way. Ray Lou sort of ran game stocks through on the inside. She was done at the three eights. The baton was passing and you know, it just didn't look all that great, but, uh, but yeah, she was terrific in the end. It, uh, if, unless you want to piggyback on that Clarion, I thought we could just quickly get your uh, couple sentences on in Italian JK. No, I just look, I just think she's remarkable. She's one of those horses that, that has gotten really good. It, it's just another example of what happens when you keep them around a little bit. And thanks to Peter Brandt. And there's lots of trainers that do that. I mean, owners that do that, but Peter Brandt, um, you know, he's done it a few times now, keeping these mares in, in training and letting us see them grow up and turn into monsters. We got to see it with Bob Edwards and rushing fall as well. But like, she reminds me a lot of rushing fall because she's forward and she's tactical, but she still finishes like a Chad Brown horse. And that is always dangerous. Um, I can't wait to see, you know, what, what's going to happen Breeders' Cup-wise with her because, to me, she can run in kind of both of those races. She can run in the, in the Philly and Mare race um, on that firm turf, you know, wire, wire a group there out there. But, you know, I also think that she's shown enough talent that if Chad felt like she was better at a mile, she could also run in the mile against the boys. Very, very interesting. But I definitely for the Philly and Mare turf nearly won it last year, and it seems pretty clear that she's moved forward. Can't get out of here without talking about Caravel, who you know I don't know why at this point I don't just trust her implicitly. I get and I and I and I get a little bit too cute. Um, you know, Big Invasion ran great, the horse that we like, but uh, Caravel just that tactical speed just gives her such an edge, and uh, going to be fun rooting for her the rest of the season. Yeah, shout out to the to the to the boys in Maroon Qatar Racing. Um, she is pretty darn exceptional, but she's also just a friendly reminder to turf sprint players that speed is just it's king in those races, or maybe I should call it queen in those races. But like the way that she can make her own trip, no matter where she draws from, because she pops away from the gate, she takes all of the the questions out of it. And that's what you get with horses like Big Invasion, which is why I've typically been allergic to betting closers and turf sprints. But he did run extremely well, and he's got some big races. Um, he's got some big races. I, I think that could be the one-two finish in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint as well. I sure do wish it was down the hill. Yeah, that is a bummer. Uh, Elite Power 102 in the True North. What kind of a course do we see being set for, for, for Elite Power the rest of the way? 
looks like Vanderbilt forego. I mean, I'd predict Vanderbilt forego Vosburg Breeders' Cup Sprint. So yeah, looks looks like uh, that's where they'd go. I think if it was a, a Churchill Breeders' Cup, you know, maybe they'd consider a dirt mile. But um, you know, winning another sprint sort of gives you that much more. It's it's just look. It's unfortunate that Lee Powers the same part as Cody's Witch because he probably could have won the Met Mile as well. And uh, maybe that means he comes back at six next year and and has that opportunity. He's a horse that took a long time to get to the races. He's obviously very very good. But yeah, Mott was pretty open about he didn't commit elite power to the forego because I think he's holding the forego in his back pocket in case Cody's Wish doesn't run well in the Whitney. But um, I think Cody's Wish is going to run fine in the Whitney. I think we'll see elite power twice at Saratoga. Yeah, I was. Yeah, the one thing I'll. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, just I was thinking maybe Dirt Mile is a, the long term target. Yeah, it just depends, you know. I mean, it's 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 weird with these big operations. Like they can kind of they can kind of break the rules. You know what I mean? Like you can just kind of they can just do whatever the hell they want because like it's not gonna, like this is going to cost Judmont their operation if they make the wrong choice with Elite Power. But I will say this about Elite Power: I, I just don't see him getting beat going six furlongs with a real pace to close into. Like I just don't see him getting beat, and and you're always going to have a real pace pace in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. So, um, you know, it just depends on what they want to do. We are over time, uh, but I will throw it to you guys each one more time to just say, hey, is there another performance, another story, another anything you want to talk about from this weekend before we send it home? You know, <laughs> I got to be honest, one of the most impressive races I saw, and I know it's not that big of a deal, but it was the 13th uh, on on Saturday where Spirit of St. Louis won first time on the turf for Chad after breaking extremely slow. Um, that horse was supposed to be on the lead. <laughs> was supposed to be on the lead, and he missed the break and avoided the unfortunate incident with uh, the Hennig horse and just came rolling and opened up and won by four. I, I thought that was very impressive. I think that horse will have a nice New York bred turf stakes career. I like the sound of that. For me, an enduring memory of the weekend will be dinner at uh, Peter Luger, where we realized quick fire, <laughs> there was going to be a significant carryover in the late pick five quickly, put in a ticket. And uh, of course, uh, we're out in the first leg. That happens at dinner when you hate to go to dinner. I'm glad I wasn't there for that. I say, not only did I have the, did I not have to go to an ATM machine? Yeah, you um, saved money for that. It was an expensive was, dinner at Luger, not because of anything to do with Luger. You want to hear something funny aside, real quick about that? So at Peter Luger, you have to pay in cash. They don't take any. They don't take anything else. They don't really want Peter wanna... Luger credit card for. Full yeah, they'll take the Peter Luger credit card. So. This is, and I remember I text you guys that I was going to be a scratch for dinner. I was powering through. I was trying my hardest to, to hope I could get to a place where I could. At one point, I was on air, and I had like $140 cash in my pocket. And I text Jovanina, come to the set. She comes to the set. I balled up the 140 I threw it to her. I texted her, go bet this on money's gold to win. Because I didn't want to have to go to the ATM. I needed to make the 140 about 280, and I thought I'd be clear to have cash for dinner. Um, but then when Money's Gold lost, I said, I'm not going to the ATM. I don't really feel very well. Like, we'll just, we'll just. Oh, Money's Gold, when you wouldn't have spun us for dinner? Is that's No, I, I still, I still think I would have gone home. Trust me, you guys didn't want me there because I, whatever I had, you didn't want. And we definitely didn't want you there because we had Naomi Tucker sitting in your seat, and she's a lot more fun to look at than you. It's a good trade off. Good trade off. <laughs> Nick, a closing thought. <laughs> Uh, one horse I wanted to mention who kind of asserted herself in the top of the division is a pretty mischievous. So good to see game win in the, in the acorn. Yes. Uh, yes, glad please. to see somebody, somebody in that division back up uh, with a couple of grade one wins. 
So, yeah, nice to see. And I find Brendan Walsh to be exceptionally easy to root for and an excellent horseman. And uh, I thought this was a really strong performance from our I'm of the opinion that being towards the inside on Friday was an advantage. I don't think it was like a big gold rail or anything, but horses that saved ground seemed to overperform throughout the day. And she saved no ground and she was wide the whole way and stayed on. So I would imagine we'll get, uh, we'll see a couple of opportunities for her at Saratoga. Um, You know, maybe with an interesting three-year-old filly like Stella from Bill Mott's barn, who looks very good through her first two starts. So at least now the fillies are starting to, to show that they aren't, uh, aren't so much of of an underwhelming group. That would have been a total host fail of me if Pretty Mischievous hadn't come up. So thank you for that, Nick. Just one quick, the last quick thing. How did you have the track on Saturday? I thought it was pretty neutral. Yeah, it seemed fair. I don't, I don't have anybody, you know, I don't, I, I'm going to go through and watch everything closely, but didn't seem like anything, maybe, maybe if anything was a bit of an advantage to be a little bit off the rail, but that's customary at Belmont. That's not a, that wouldn't be anything outside the norm. And, you know, Archangelo would tell you that it was no problem being on the rail. Had no problem down there. All right, we're going to wrap. Tons more content coming on the network this week. Not sure exactly what's happening when, but I, I might do a show every single day. So uh, keep it uh, keep it tuned over on the podcast side in the Money Media. If you're watching on YouTube, let us know your thought of who's going to win this three-year-old championship. I think that's one of the key questions coming out of this weekend for sure. Thanks, guys. We'll be back right after this. Horseshoe Indianapolis, listen to its supporters and remove the straight fire six jackpot from the wagering menu and replaced it with a second pick five. Now, the first five thoroughbred races will include a pick five and the last five thoroughbred races will have the late fire five, both wagers, separate pools, separate carryovers, and both have the industry low takeout of 11.99%. Other wagers include two pick fours, the first one on races two through five, and the late one on the last four thoroughbred races daily. Both have a lower takeout of 15%. Horseshoe Indianapolis will host two NHC qualifiers back-to-back Friday, July 7th and Saturday, July 8th. Both are going to be live money contests. Two will advance from the Friday session and four from Saturday, which is Indiana Derby Day. We will also hold a contest December 2nd with the top four advancing to the NHC finals at Horseshoe in Las Vegas from March 15th through 17th, 2024. Full rules and details will be available soon. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at Gainesway. Really happy to have Gainesway Farm back with us for 2023. Gainesway stands up and coming stallion McKinsey. McKinsey produced 16 six-figure first crop weanlings, the most of any first crop sire, with a $135,000 weanling average. At Keeneland January, McKinsey produced the two highest-priced first crop yearlings at $250,000 and $220,000, well above the $145,000 sales average. Additionally, at Phasic tipped in February, McKinsey had the highest-priced first crop yearling at $200,000. Don't miss your opportunity to get involved. For more information, visit Gainsway.com. One more segment on today's show, and this is what I'm really looking forward to. Had a chance to meet this guest in Saratoga last year, and as happens sometimes, we got to brainstorming about some ideas for content, and he came up with a great one that's going to be dropping this week, an audio version. More importantly, I think even a YouTube version, new cool YouTube content for us here. And best of all, he's got the perfect name for a horse player. He is Josh Wynn. Josh, what's going on? I'm doing good, Pete. How are you, man? How's uh, how's the the week after Belmont treating you? It's it's so far so good. It's it's really a no rest sort of situation. As I'm going to start packing today for this England trip, have a date to see uh, Frankel on Friday that I do not want to miss. And then, of course, it's Ascot and uh, 
other kinds of summer fun with the family coming back over, but there'll be shows throughout. You know, I won't let the folks down. In fact, mentioning Ask It, I'll give the first plug that we're going to be doing shows for each of the five days. So that that should be good. And I know traveling and horse racing is a subject near and dear to your heart. Tell us this idea that you pitched me back at the Brentwood last summer and and where it came from a little bit. So I need to put this out front. I blame you guys. My wife blames you guys for making horse racing more of a hard life. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know much about Saratoga before, um, before I got into horse racing. I mean, I knew, I heard about it a little, but listening to you guys talk about Saratoga and just like the Mecca of horse racing and kind of really the, I mean, use it cause I'm in Minnesota, the Valhalla of, of horse racing. Uh, I was like, I needed to go, but you know, this better than anyone else. Cause you, you, you have that little house, uh, up there. It's, you get there, you could spend, a whole summer in Saratoga and not see everything that you want to see. And so uh, coming from Minneapolis, St. Paul, I'm not going to have a lot of trips to go up uh, to Saratoga. And so I wanted to just make the, make the best of it. And so I was really trying to plan and deep dive. Think about it a lot. Like when, maybe when people go to Europe for the first time, they don't know kind of like what cities or where to go or whatever. And I couldn't find anything that was succinct about Saratoga. It would be kind of like promotional tools here and there. And it would be like little things. And, you know, I was like, couldn't find any 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 travel content, so I was like, you know what, I uh, I, I know a, a growing uh, media empire. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be able. To, I got the skill set to do it. Why not? Why not see if uh, if we can make it happen? So people who are who are traveling to new tracks, uh, they have a little bit of succinct guide of of where uh, the people in the know go, what they do, what they eat, what they drink. I pitched it to you, uh, pitched it to some of your friends, and, and uh, I'm, I'm so happy that we've been able to kind of get the first one off the ground, and I'm excited uh, to, to check out some other uh, other tracks. I love that description. Right. We do our lifestyle shows, but it's like, it's cool, especially if you're somebody who goes every year to hear Michelle, Billy, and I talk about 20 restaurants, but that yeah. idea of, I'm going there, I need an itinerary similar to what you might see on the travel channel or in a travel book. L- little known fact about me. Um, first, one of my first jobs, my first like proper job was actually working in the production department on Fromer's travel guide. So I, I was very sympathetic when, uh, when, when this idea came across the, the transom. And that is where the idea for the pick three, the lifestyle pick three came from, you know, really let's narrow down to, to a handful of the best things to do and give people uh, a jump on their travel plans. And we've got the first episode out, which is already in the, in the can as it were edited and it's on Oaklawn park. Tell us a little bit about your, your experience there. You know, Oaklawn park, um, such great racing, especially in the winter when we're kind of in that lull, but also what makes Oaklawn so great is like, it is a town that is built around horse racing, much like Saratoga. Every shop that you go into, uh, there's a there's pictures of people with horses. There are people selling tip sheets. There is just guides. There's everything uh, kind of revolves around horse racing. And we were so pumped to go down there because it it's kind of like Pete. Have you been to a college football uh, like a big college football tailgate or a college like a, a town that's just built on college football? That's Absolutely. what it feels. Everything is a party. So like the moment you wake up, you're 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 eating, you're drinking. You're betting on the ponies. Uh, when you're done, you go back to these little dive bars, you drink, you talk about the next day of racing. And so uh, it was a dream for us to just go there and really soak it all in. And it was it was, it was, was awesome. We will not give away the store here in terms of the specifics of the content because people are going to be able later this week to watch it 
on YouTube and also listen. I thought that was a good idea that we sort of brainstormed together as well. For somebody, you know, obviously to do a seven minute video, you shot a lot of footage and there's a lot of other good content. So there's going to be an audio version of this as well that gets a little bit uh, deeper. What was something in the audio version that sort of like you, you really wish if we'd had more time could have gotten in the, in the video version? Man, we got so much good stuff. I, I, I think we didn't, um, and, and maybe it was, uh, maybe it's just uh, after traveling a little while and just like, just be on the go, go, go. We didn't get to do much uh, in uh, Hot Springs about kind of the self-care piece of it, of the yeah. relaxation. The, you, you know what, you, if you do bring the family, you can take the wife to the spa. And we didn't get to dig into that at all because we were only in there for a couple of days. But one of the things I would say, uh, we'll give you some tips about kind of what to eat, what to drink, what to do. And if we added one more, we were going to do on there. We would have added, uh, you know, build in an afternoon to, to to treat yourself a little bit, to relax, maybe uh, take some of those winnings uh, you get from the track and, and take care of your family, take care of yourself, get a get a nice mud bath. But that's uh, that's that's one of the things that we didn't get into. But when we go back, uh, I'm, I'm building it in uh, right next to to going to Deluca's. I'm gonna I'm gonna put in a half an hour to do uh, or a half a day to to spend some time uh, easing these bones. I love that. And you mentioned husbands and wives. And we, I know for many of our listeners, it, in some cases, the, 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 the roles can be, can be flipped there too. We, we, we will have our, our, uh, our, our ladies uh, firing bets away at the, at the track while the, while the husbands have the cucumbers over the eyes. So it's, it's a perfect, uh, it's a perfect thing to include in a future version and maybe something that could factor into the, to an eventual Saratoga version. Now, we don't have any commitments yet going forward to do more of these. I, I have a feeling they're going to come up, though. If I were to ask you of your dream list, maybe give me three places you'd love to do these type of lifestyle preview for, previews for in the future. You know, I, I would like to do uh, Del Mar. Uh, I think that would be really fun. Just it's a it's a cool space. There's a lot that's happening. Uh, it's such a small meet. Uh, the second part would uh, the second one would probably be Saratoga. Going back to Saratoga with the camera just focused on, hey, I want to help everyone that's coming back here because when we went, it was hard. There's just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. And we just found ourselves in like a, a bro bar, which it was because we just couldn't find anything. And like knowing now of like, oh, we should have did this. We should have did that. So just making sure that, that we're able to kind of share some of those tips at Saratoga. If you're all, knowing that you're going into it, you're only going to be there for maybe a weekend or a few days. I would love to, to with that lens, go back there and do it again. And, and then I think... I think Keeneland would be a lot of fun. I think going to Keeneland, you could spend so much time there at the different farms and just, I mean, that's another city that's uh, a horse racing city. And one of the things uh, we haven't talked about this yet, but when I met with the guys at DeLuca's in Hot Springs, they said their next location they want to do is going to be uh, in Keeneland. So uh, that would be a double of like, let's get some pizza, see every horse that's ever mattered uh, over the last uh, 50 years, see some some stuff. So Keeneland would be fun. And then on top of that, we'd be able to get some pizza and uh, maybe even a burger at DeLuca's if, they, if they're set up uh, by the time we get there. Double duty for DeLuca's. I have no problem with that as much as I as much as I love that place. And he's a character and he features prominently in the show as well. And again, the pick three, the idea was to narrow this down, right? I mean, that's yeah. it's a it's a clever name, but it also it also kind of works. And you're not beholden, you know, like an actual pick three, you're not necessarily beholden to uh, to to one spot per category. But talk about the gimmick a little bit. You know, what? I think it's a lot. Of, it's a lot like betting. It, if you go in and you're just throwing together a, a, a sequence of pick five or pick three, and you're not really doing your research, 
you're going to waste a lot of money. You're going to waste a lot of time. And so for me, just had a new baby. A lot of my friends have kids. We can't spend sometimes two, three weeks. Maybe we get <laughs> sometimes only two hours uh, to watch horse things. But, but on these occasions, we get kind of two or three days. And so we really want to make sure we have a plan. And so really the pick three is we're going to give you three places, what you should drink, what you should eat and what you could hang. And then if we find something really good, we need some extra coverage. We'll throw that in there as well. But we want to make sure you're fed. We want to make sure uh, that, that uh, you're having some good libations and we want you to kind of be around the coolest people. And I think that's one of the things that's so awesome about the partnership with you guys is that you guys know everyone. I, I cannot stress to you the amount of times I can say, hey, I know PTF and they pull up that that red rope and they let me right in the back. And so being able to get into those speakeasies because I know the man with the fedora uh, is good and I want to share kind of that inside information. And then two, we get you all set up and then you listen to the other podcasts and you can, you can, you can make some money. So we're, we're trying to make this a, an all encompassing thing. And, and uh, hopefully it's something that it resonates with people because horse racing, the betting part is kind of what draws it in the horses, what, what's there. But for me, what really uh, took me in is, the lifestyle. You meet so many characters and you, you you see so many things and it's so much history and it, it's so fun. And so I really wanted to just capture that, take advantage of of uh, the in the money contacts and, and kind of all those backstories and, and really share those with people who maybe don't have the time to, to dive into it. And, and hopefully it's uh, something fun that uh, people dig. The idea that knowing me or JK would ever get you behind a velvet rope is truly laugh out loud funny. Uh, but I love that in this narrow, weird world of horse racing, I mean, hey, if that ever worked, I I, I just, I, I couldn't be more tickled and more pleased. Tell me about your collaborator on the project. So uh, my collaborator is uh, his Mike Ricci. Mike Ricci uh, has a background in videography, much like I do. Uh, he's more in the sports space. Uh, I was uh, more in the news space. So we work really well together. We've known each other. We went to college together. We've known each other. Ugh, gonna make myself sound old here, but uh, 15, 20 years. And he's just, I love working with him because everyone has this guy in their life. Something about him attracts characters and we find ourselves in the coolest places because he gives off the best auras, the best vibes. And so he is a, not only being technically sound, he's, he's one of those guys that uh, finds you, uh, finds you good trouble in the, in, in the best possible way. And uh, this project could, could not be done without them. That's great. And I know you wanted to shout out the, uh, the 10 strike team a little bit for their help. We never shy away from giving them publicity on here. No, absolutely. And those guys were great. I mean, they had, we had, we had exchanged before we had went down there, we had exchanged some texts, um, very uh, just scheduling texts. Hey, can you meet me here? Can you do this? But when we got down there, Clay Sanders, his wife, Diana, Marshall Graham, their ownership group, of uh, 40, 50 people. I mean, they took us in like we were family. I mean, uh, we were walking around. They were showing us around. They, I mean, we're in some of their... When we went to uh, uh, Arkansas Derby Day, they had some uh, horses running earlier in the day that won a stake. And they're like, you guys are getting in the photo with us. And so, <laughs> I mean, they they took us in the photo. They took us out to eat. They had... Uh, uh, they had a kind of a ownership group party that had all of the the Fox Sports people there. I mean, it just like knowing you connected us with them, connected us with the other FS1 people. And I mean, the weekend would have been fun if we weren't connected with them. But this put it over the top. And you could see in the video just how generous they are with their time and sharing stuff. And I mean, they gave us some winners and it was just 
I cannot even describe how much fun it was with them. And I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to, to go down there and hang out. And uh, once again, I'm forever grateful that they, uh, they, they babysat us and uh, hooked us to the monkey backpack with the leash and uh, brought us around with them all weekend. <laughs> you alluded to your background already and doing some news production, but give us a little more of a sense of your resume before we plug the project one more time and let you get out of here. I think like many people in this business, I have a very uh, eclectic background as people who are in journalism or broadcast. They just they're interested in a lot of things. And so I've got a little bit of background in uh, sports radio. Um, I, uh, I guess by trade, I'm a I'm a I'm a journalist. And so I worked um, I worked in Des Moines, Iowa at a TV station for a handful of years. And so I was a honor reporter. I did the morning show. I did kind of all other things. I, uh, I covered some of the Abba family uh, stable horses, uh, Brody's cause when he went to the Derby. So that's how I really uh, that's how I really, really got into to more horse racing was that. And then being a young guy in a city by myself, uh, one of the things that's open late that's not going to get you in too much trouble is the horse track. So I was able to spend some time uh, at Prairie Meadows. And then when I was really young, interning in college, I, uh, I spent some time at uh, Canterbury. Uh, Canterbury is really cool if you ever get here um, because that's where all the old sports writers would go. And I thought I was going to do more sports back then. And so the track announcer, Paul Allen, who also announces the Vikings, said, hey, you want to you want to just get some residual sports pixie dust? You come, you hang out with us, you just take it in. And I would I'd be a poor college kid. Uh, they had free beer, free food. So it was perfect for me. So I would spend my my summer days, summer evenings uh, at uh, up in the, the press box at, at Canterbury, learning how to read a read a form and, and kind of put stuff together. So I've kind of got a, a wide array of stuff, but right now uh, I, uh, I'm excited to be doing this and, and taking all of those things that I've learned and, and putting it towards this feels like a really good use of my time and energy and I'm pumped to be doing it and I'm happy uh, that uh, you guys are making it happen for you. Love it. One request. I want to see your name on horse player happy hour leaderboards. It's going to be every Thursday between now and the Breeders' Cup, 20 bucks to play. It's all pick and price. If you have work responsibilities, that's no excuse. Heck, play all the fours if you have to, but support that cause and maybe get yourself a Breeders' Cup betting challenge seat in the process. What do you say? You know, I'll be there. Uh, I've, I've wanted to dive into contests. Uh, they're a little scary. Uh, so, Pete, much like uh, in Saratoga, if you hold my hand and you, uh, you you let me into the water, you let me know it's going to be warm when we get there. I'll uh, I'll be there. You'll have my donation, and uh, let's see if I can uh, get my name up there because it, uh, it 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 may not look like win. But it sounds like win, and I would love to be uh, at the top there with uh, In It to Win It. <laughs> in It to Win It, indeed. Fantastic stuff. This is great. And you say donation. Of course, that's what this is. The house cut goes to a TRF and the, and the TAA, so it all works out. Josh Wynn is his name. The Lifestyle Pick 3 is the video that will be popping up soon on our YouTube channel. We will also have a podcast version that will drop later this week as well. I want everybody to check it out. Josh, thank you so much for your time. All right. One thing. Can I can I drop one more thing, Pete, before we go? Absolutely. So uh, when you watch the video, be sure to like, subscribe, uh, comment. And then, too, if, if there's something when we put these video videos out, you're like, hey, you guys missed this. You should check this out or you want to we want to crowdsource some information. Drop well, those things in there. We will we will forward those along. And you know what? We want to go back to Oakland. So maybe part two of this, we, we go check out something else. So uh, we want to interact with you. We want you to really be a part of this because uh, horse racing fans and, and players, you guys know the ins and outs of, of things better uh, than most when it comes to this game. So if you got something that I'm missing, uh, I'm not precious about it, share it with me and we'll make it happen. I love checking out new things, meeting new people, drinking new beers. Uh, so, so share those with me because I want to make that happen.
that is such a good idea because as great as it is to have the targeted pick three approach, it is also great to have 20 suggestions of places to go. So good, good on you for mentioning that, that I probably should have mentioned. Josh, thank you so much for your time again. We will be talking soon. You're the man, Pete. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll thank uh, Nick and JK and Josh. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos.